Welcome to Bad Axe Podcast. I'm your host, Danielle Blinka. And I'm your co-host, Aaron. Bad Axe is brought to you by the Podmoth Media Network. Visit the Podmoth Network for more great podcasts. You can support Bad Axe by joining our Patreon at patreon.com backslash badaxepod. There's a link in our show notes. Memberships start at just $1, and we have months of exclusive episodes for you to binge. You can also support the show by telling a friend about us, leaving a review, and following us wherever you listen. Now, on to our case. The case we have for you today is brutal and really sad, just as a warning. I kind of regretted picking it after I dug into my research because I kept crying. But at the same time, I think it's really compelling and frightening, and so we are going to be talking about it anyway. It's very relevant. I think some of you will learn something from this. I took something from it, so hopefully you do too. Today we are going to Manhattan, New York in October 2012. 36-year-old Marina and 37-year-old Kevin Krim had a life many people would envy. Kevin worked as a CNBC television executive, so the family afforded a very comfortable lifestyle. He had previously worked for some websites. I think Yahoo was one of them. So he has a really esteemed career. Marina and Kevin were parents to three adorable children, Lucia, called Lulu, Nessie, and Leo. The family was rounded out by an adopted greyhound named Babar. Previously, Marina had been a marketing director, but she quit that career to focus on the job she always wanted, motherhood. Marina even maintained a mommy blog called Life with the Little Crim Kids. She posted adorable photos of the kids playing at home, visiting places like pumpkin patches, and starting school. The Krim family lived in a luxury apartment in the Upper West Side of Manhattan, an expensive and highly sought-after area. Together, Marina and Kevin were providing a great life for their children. Although Marina dedicated her life to her kids, taking care of three children is difficult. After the birth of their third child, the Krims decided to hire a part-time nanny to help care for their children. Like most parents, they began a long, arduous process of finding the right caregiver for their kids in 2010. At the time, Lulu was four years old, Nessie was two years old, and Leo was just a baby. They started by interviewing multiple candidates to get to know them better. Then, they called references and vetted the applicants. In the end, they settled on 48-year-old Jocelyn Ortega. Prior to becoming a nanny, Ortega cleaned houses to support herself and her son. However, her sister Celia worked as a nanny and helped her get into the career as well. Ortega would help Marina take the children to the activities that they did, and she helped keep up with household tasks. Tasks. With her help, Marina could be the involved, enthusiastic mom she wanted to be. The Krems paid Marina $500 a week for childcare, plus an extra $100 a week if she cleaned the home. Ortega chose to wear a uniform to work, and the Krems were okay with that. Now keep in mind, she's also part-time, supposedly, 
So $500 a week in childcare for part-time is pretty good. Oh, yeah, for I sure. Mean, our nanny the other week made $300 a week. Yeah. Part-time nannying. Yeah, I mean, that's good money. Yeah. Yeah. From 2010 to 2012, Ortega remained a member of the Krim household, providing care to the children. She grew attached to the kids, showing off photos of them and bragging about them to friends. Everyone in Ortega's life believed that she loved the children, much like her own. For their part, the Kims treated Ortega like a family member. When they vacationed, they paid for her to visit her family in Santo Domingo, and one time they even went there with her and met her extended family. That's really nice. Yeah, and Marina wrote about this on her blog, saying that they were part of her family too now, and just really excited about meeting the people who were important to Ortega. Yeah, they so, sound like really nice people. Yeah, they sound like really nice people. By the time 2012 rolled around, life appeared to be progressing perfectly. Six-year-old Lulu, three-year-old Nessie, and two-year-old Leo were growing up super fast. They were just starting to find things they love. In fact, Leo was just learning to talk. Because remember, he's just two years old. Yeah. No one could know that cracks were beginning to form in the happy family. As it turns out, Ortega wasn't as happy as people thought about working for the Krim family. She felt like they expected too much from her. Additionally, she was jealous of the lives the Krims provided for their children. Ortega had a son herself who was 17. Her son's name was Jesus. Although her son Jesus had been born in New York City, he grew up in the Dominican Republic. That's because Ortega had taken him there to live with her sister when he was just at the young age of four. And she'd send money and check on him regularly, but she couldn't raise him. Now, there's disputes about why this happened. Some people said that she had trouble coping with having him in her care because it stressed her out that she was always worried about him. But there also seems to be some kind of financial constraint happening. So, instead of raising him, she chose to send him to her sister. Yeah. However, she brought him back to the United States in early 2012, about six months before everything would go wrong. She enrolled him in a nice private school in New York City, but Ortega struggled to pay his tuition there. She resented not being able to cover these costs, and her whole economic situation just started to flounder. She tried selling makeup and jewelry to earn extra money, but her financial situation didn't improve. Additionally, she resented watching Marina spend her days with her children when she herself had missed her son's entire childhood. Now, keep in mind, uh, this is not the Krim's fault. Not that it would matter for what's going to happen. But they only had her working for them for two years. Her son was already 15 when she started working there. So they are not in any way to blame for her choosing not to have her son with her. Absolutely. Also... I understand that she was angry that, I guess I'm resentful that Marina got to be with her kids and she didn't. But at the same time, uh, you know, Marina isn't getting help so she can ignore her kids. Like, I can kind of almost maybe understand that. But she literally was there in the home the whole time. Everyone who knew the Krim family talked about how even with Ortega in the home helping with the kids, Marina rarely actually left them alone with her because that wasn't the purpose of them having the nanny. She wasn't there to to be there so that Marina could just go off and do other stuff or go to work or, like, go to classes. She was mostly there just because it is hard to have three kids. And they Marina just wanted help so that she could make sure that they were all able to do the things that they wanted to do. 
Yeah, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah, like she had the kids in things like art classes and ballet, and they played a lot of games and made like cookies and stuff. And so it just it was nice having helping hands so that she could take one kid to a class while the other kid was being watched, or that, you know, all three of them, all three kids could be doing something with mom, and maybe there's someone there to help clean up or like check on things as needed. Yeah. That kind of stuff. Makes total sense. Totally makes sense. So one goal that Ortega had had when she brought her son to the United States was that she could get an apartment for them to share, just the two of them, and that they could just have, like, their own little family together. She finally had gotten this apartment not long before this incident is going to happen, and the apartment was in the Bronx. I believe it was a two-bedroom. But, again, since she's struggling financially, she ended up losing that apartment and was forced to move back with her sister in Hamilton Heights. Now, the sister's apartment was very cramped because there were so many people living there, especially, again, with two more people now that they've had to move back. So she's getting really frustrated about this whole situation with her money and her movements, and she starts losing, like, a lot of weight, too. And the people who know her say that she starts looking really, really anxious and kind of fidgety, and they can tell something's wrong, but it's not exactly clear clear what's going on. Furthermore, Ortega felt slighted after an incident that occurred with Marina. She and Marina had had a brief exchange outside of the children's school. Since Ortega was already off the clock during this incident, Marina actually just became upset with her and asked her to leave and just leave her and the children alone. And she reportedly said, quote, I don't want to see your face right now, unquote. Now, obviously, that's not a nice thing to say, but being serious, it is really not that bad. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's a little rude, but it's not like, in the grand scheme of things, it's not that bad. Yeah, I feel like I've definitely had that said to me on more than one occasion. And obviously, it sucks, but this is not the kind of thing that should be building this whole, like, rage fire inside of you being real. Like, obviously, I know she might have some problems, but seriously. Yeah, no, you're totally right about that. And this was a single moment. They had made up after this. And so Marina's thinking everything's fine because that's literally the meanest thing that she had ever said to her. But Ortega brought up the incident often, like to other people and talked about it. Even like years after all this happened, she still brings it up and claims that Marina humiliated her on that moment. And it's just something she can't recover from. And I just, yeah, it seems to have been part of her growing resentment towards the family yeah this is all building up to one big moment which we are arriving to on october 25th 2012 marina krim had plans to meet ortega at a dance class for lulu lulu took dance classes and she was basically going to be picking up lulu and ortega was supposed to have dropped her off marina had three-year-old nessie with her that day because she'd been at a swimming lesson Ortega only needed to care for six-year-old Lulu and two-year-old Leo. At the time, Kevin Krim was out of town on a business trip. When Marina arrived at the dance school, however, Ortega wasn't there. She and the other Krim children never arrived. Concerned and confused, Marina went home to find out why they weren't in class, and when she got back to her building, she asked the doorman if he'd seen Ortega and the kids. He said no, so she went to the apartment. When she walked into the home, the entryway was empty. There were no sounds of small children running about, so Marina walked room to room looking for them, but she found no signs. Finally, she arrived at the last room, 
at the end of the hallway, the bathroom door. Marina opened the bathroom door and encountered a blood-soaked Ortega. Little Nessie also saw the bloody nanny. Ortega held a knife to her own throat, and when she saw Marina, she plunged the knife into her neck twice, breaking two bones in the process. Beside the nanny, Marina and Nessie saw the reason for the suicide attempt. Two small, bloody bodies stacked in the bathtub. Oh. Earlier that day, at around 5 p.m. in the evening, Ortega had taken Lulu and Leo into the family bathroom. In her hand, she held knives from the family kitchen. Once inside, she turned on her charges. Ortega stabbed both children repeatedly and left them bleeding in the bathtub. Then she sat there waiting for Marina to come home with little Nessie. She wanted the mother to witness her suicide. Jesus, that is just vicious. Yeah, just vicious. And if you're wondering, are you sure that she wanted her to see a suicide? Like, are you sure she was planning to commit suicide? Yes. Because she had actually created a whole little suicide plan. Before she went to work that day, she had taken out all of her important documents, including her ID, her bank papers, her credit cards, her insurance policies, and any cash she had, and put it in an envelope for her sister. And then she gathered up all of her family keepsakes and heirlooms that she wanted family members to have, and she put those in a bag, and she hung them on her son's door so that he would be able to find them, so that they would know what to do with her stuff. Which is, like, obviously a plan. Oh, yeah, that's a red flag. Yes. Now, keep in mind that the prosecutor in this case believes that she actually waited to commit suicide so that she could see how horrified Marina was when she saw her babies dead before she killed herself. Man, that's like a- as a special treat for herself before dying. Man, that's evil. It's so, it's messed up. It's really messed up. Who, who does? I don't, I don't know. I mean, like. Obviously, we've done a lot of crazy crimes on this show, but this one, I, I should have known not to do it because it was little kids. But I know they did a similar episode to this, I believe, on Law & Order SVU, like, a long time ago. But for some reason, I thought it wasn't going to be this horrific, but, like, it just kept getting worse. Yeah. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings, from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. I mean, it's it's horrific enough that you've killed someone's kids, but Mm -hmm. then you're going to like... To, to do that, to, like, make them watch... It's like it's so just, wrong. It's vindictive. I mean... And I'm, over some petty bullshit. Yeah. Like, I understand that the crims are very rich, and it's hard to see that. Like, I know that. I grew up in a family that did not have a lot of money, and I, for a long time, struggled and, like, didn't have health insurance and, you know, made choices that were based on the fact that I had no money. But... The idea that you would kill these children, like, are you serious? Yeah. It's just wrong. Like, they haven't really, they have not done anything to you. Not just the kids, but the family. Like, none of this justifies any of it. But just yeah. the, like, it's just a horrible thing. Just, just incredibly horrible. 
Oh, yeah, for sure. Just absolutely nothing that makes sense here. Now, after seeing this, Marina ran from the room and went to the doorman for help. And she was in shock. She was screaming. People reported hearing her in the elevator screaming as she's trying to go to the doorman. And it might sound weird, but it kind of makes sense because it's a trauma. Like, she sees this horrible thing. She really can't talk. She can't, like, think to call 911. She's just trying to get out of there and find someone who can help her. Well, yeah. I mean, I feel like that's a very mm-hmm. natural reaction. Mm-hmm. I'd be freaked the hell very out, Very natural. So, she gets to this doorman. She's in shock. She can barely talk. And the doorman is able to call for help. And first responders did everything they could to save the children. When they arrived, they found a heartbroken and horrified Marina, who was, I believe, downstairs in the building still. And she was screaming and sobbing as she held on to Nessie. And... According to a People magazine article, a neighbor actually heard her say, quote, What am I going to do with the rest of my life? I have no children. I have no children. Unquote. That that was one of the things that made me cry. Yeah, that's heartbreaking. That is so, so sad. And she also was kind of like going back and forth between just screaming over the loss of her kids and then trying to comfort Nessie. Because Nessie was obviously also upset because she saw everything. Yeah. And according to reports, she actually remained afraid of both bathrooms and the dark for a really long time after the murders. Not surprisingly. Yeah, it's like you don't think about that until you hear it, but it makes total sense. Like, I don't think I could go into a bathroom after that. Especially yeah. not as a small child. Mm-mm. No, hell no. No, also, I would like to call everyone's attention to, once again, the child abuse person has brought children to a bathtub. What is with the bathtubs? It's a good question. People got to stop with the bathtubs. That is really weird. I feel like there needs to be a study. If there's not already, if you're a psychology student, maybe do psychology of these ridiculous bathroom people who are murdering children and abusing children and are somehow involving a bathtub in the situation. Why do they do that? Yeah, it could be a good thesis. We would like to know here at Bad Axe Podcast. I'm going to Google that later and see if someone has done any research because it comes up a lot. Meanwhile, paramedics rushed Lulu and Leo to the St. Luke's Roosevelt Hospital, but it was too late. Both children died from their wounds. Kevin and Marina took Nessie and Babar the Greyhound to a hotel, where they gathered together with family to ride out the pain. They didn't want to be in the apartment anymore. As police investigated the murder, the Crims learned a disturbing secret. All of the qualifications and good references they relied on when they hired Ortega were all fake. Her family actually helped her appear qualified to be a nanny, even though she wasn't. If you remember, I said she used to clean houses before she became a nanny, and that her sister helped her transition. They literally posed as references for her and gave good reports about her being a nanny in order to basically trick the crims into hiring her. Man, that sucks. Yeah, totally messed up. So they did everything to try to make sure they got a good nanny, and it still was this. Yeah, it still wasn't enough. Yeah, and to be fair Damn. about the nanny process, they she was like a decent nanny for the family. Like they had not had any problems with her. Until she was this. on time. They did say she wasn't like the nicest, warmest nanny, but they didn't have like a lot of conflicts. The problem though is that she wasn't clearly prepared to to care for kids. And 
she herself, Ortega, would would complain that her the reason why she was like driven to this murder was that she was having like these voices that were telling her to do it, and that she'd always had trouble with like worrying about the safety of children, that she had had trouble raising her own kid. So if you're the family and you know that she allegedly has had trouble raising her own kid to the point that she had to send the kids to live with someone else, why on earth would you fabricate a fake caregiver background? To help her get a job caring for kids. Yeah, she shouldn't be caring for kids. Yeah, I mean, it, I don't think she should be regardless. But I mean, especially if you believe that she has a problem with caring, you know, with worrying about children, with being able to process caring for a child and like not be anxious while caring for a child. Why would you go into that as a career? It does not make sense. No, it doesn't. And why would you help someone? That is messed up. Yeah, it is. Authorities charged Ortega with four counts of murder, and let me explain why. Uh, the charges actually list both first and second degree murder. I don't know how they were able to, to do that, both of them, but they did. I understand why they went for first degree murder, because they have all of those things that she had gathered ahead of time that she had planned. It's like clearly obvious that she had a plan that day. And also waiting until the mom came home is a red flag. Oh, yeah. It's a problem. Yeah, that's definitely premeditated. Yeah. Now, a judge held her without bail in the psychiatric prison ward at Elmhurst Hospital Center. And since Ortega claimed insanity, the court ordered a psychological evaluation. Psychiatrists found her ready to stand trial in, I believe, 2013. But it still took several years for the case to go to court. This case took a really long time to work its way through the court system. It wasn't until early 2018 that Ortega faced a jury, which was over five years after the murder. That is a long time. Yeah, a really long time. And they had like a whole jury and like six alternates. They were not playing around with this trial. It was expected to last about two months. And it did come in at like, I think, seven weeks. It was a very long trial. Prosecutors obviously alleged that the murders were premeditated because of her laying out those personal belongings and important papers on the day before she went to work. Uh, This action makes it clear that she planned the event in advance. They also argued that she knew that she was doing something wrong because they think that that's partly why she decided to commit suicide is because she knew that she would go to jail or get in trouble if she didn't. Yeah. At trial, Ortega pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity and her defense attorneys told the jury that she had a long-standing mental illness and couldn't be held responsible for the crimes. They went so far as to say that she heard the devil that day telling her to kill the kids and herself. Um, I guess the devil, like, phoned it in early before she went to work that day. Yeah. I don't know. I have a hard time understanding, again, if you were having these struggles leading up to the day of the crime, why did you continue to go to work? Yeah. And I know for those of you who are new listeners, we've discussed this a lot. I do have a mental illness myself. I have bipolar disorder. It sucks and tries to ruin my life all the time. But at no point was I like, let me murder these people. Yeah. And I have been able to make decisions to better my safety in some cases. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it totally does. I mean, this this really smells like one of those cases where they're like, the devil made me do it as an excuse, mm-hmm. you know, to try to cover their ass. Yeah. But it's like, it's just such a thin lie that like, n- no one should believe that. Like, I'm not saying she doesn't have mental health problems. I'm just saying that I don't. I agree with the the prosecutors and that it doesn't look like her mental health problems are connected to the murder. 
Yeah. Lots of people are depressed and have anxiety and things like that. These are not things that make you commit murder. Yeah. She's not, like, legally insane. Yes. Yeah. That's what it is. She's yeah. She might be insane. She's not legally insane. She knew she was doing the wrong thing. Yeah, exactly. And she did it on purpose. Yep. Psychiatrist took the stand to say Ortega did hear these voices, and then the defense used this to argue that she was psychotic at the time of the murders. Her son also testified on her behalf, and ironically... He's become quite successful after the murders. He graduated at the top of his class and is going to medical school. So that's great for him. I'm glad his, mur- his I'm glad that his mom's crimes did not hold him back. But I just think it's interesting that her son has had all this amazing success and this is with the stress and the the horror of having to go through this experience with his mom. Imagine what he could have done if she had not done this. Yeah, for real. Like, I mean, he wouldn't have had to deal with all that stress and mental anguish, and he's had to, have to change his name and all kinds of stuff to, like, get away from the notoriety of all of it. And so, for all that, he's still had this amazing level of success. Yeah. I mean... I mean, kudos to him, man. And, yeah, and she could have just not murdered, and then she could be out there with her son. Yeah. And maybe one day he would have her living with him in his doctor house. Yeah, for real. Celebrating his success. Yeah, and instead, she's going to be in jail. Yep. Ideally. Hopefully. During the two-month trial, Marina Krim had to relive the horror of that day. She had to testify for a ridiculously long amount of time. Because keep in mind, she saw parts of the crime and witnessed the suicide attempt and all that. So she was like a prime witness, which is just awful. Like, after everything she's gone through, now she has to go to this trial. She told the jury all about her children and finding them that day, as well as the disturbing sight of Ortega's attempted suicide. According to the BBC, she said at trial, quote, I just wanted to wake up from this nightmare that I knew wasn't a nightmare. It was real. It's like a total horror movie, unquote. And at one point, Marina turned to Ortega during her testimony and yelled, You're evil. You're evil. Which I totally understand. Uh, yeah. Like, actually, give her a lot of credit for not yelling even more things. <laughs> like, yeah. honestly, I feel like she's very strong for keeping it mostly on topic. I know. that It'd be really hard to face down somebody like mm-hmm, that after mm-hmm. that. Especially because of something that I'm about to tell you. Because people who sat through the trial noticed something peculiar. Ortega cried often, but only when people talked about what she went through and her problems. She did not cry during testimony about the children she murdered, which is twisted. Yeah. So, like, when people would talk about her financial issues and how, like, she supposedly heard voices all the time, she would be like, oh, like, all crying over there. But then when they would talk about literally the stabbing of children, they had to show photos of this to the jury and everything. The the jury had to look at the crime scene photos, including the children in the bathtub, which is messed up. Messed up. Yeah, that's not that's an image mm-hmm. that'll stay with you forever. Yes. That'll now, scar you. I personally am very upset. I do not look at crime scene photos unless it's an oopsie. I don't like them. They freak me out and are very upsetting. I don't know why people like looking at that. I'm not trying to judge you. I'm just saying it's really gross and <laughs> horrifying and sad. Um, but, like, I've always wanted to be on a jury. But I a part of me does not actually want to be on a criminal trial because, A, they last a while sometimes. But, B... I don't want to look at these crime scene photos. It's mm-hmm. just, and you have to look at them. That's like part of it. Yep. But this, this person here, this murderer also did not cry. Following months of testimony, the jury deliberated for two days and they ended up not buying her defense. 
The jury convicted Ortega of four total charges, two counts of first-degree murder and two counts of second-degree murder, on April 14th, 2018. After her conviction, Ortega faced the court. Shaking like a leaf, she apologized through a Spanish translator, and she said that she hoped for forgiveness. She sort of apologized. According to the cut, she said, I, quote, I'm sorry for everything that happened, but I hope that no one goes through what I have gone through. And through, and though many people wish me all the worst, my life is in the hands of God. I am in jail, unquote. Yeah, that's not a real good apology. Yeah, I don't know if you, if I would really count that. If I were the family, I would not count that for sure. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Yeah. Because, I mean, she's like, I'm sorry, but also I wish that no one has to go through all these ordeals that I went through. It's like, I'm not denying that you went through some stuff in your life. It's just that really. Yeah, I mean like. You murder children. Yeah, and you're sitting here making it about yourself. And it's not about you anymore. Exactly. Because you murder children. Yep. In May 2018, the judge sentenced Ortega to life in prison, saying that she was, quote, remorseless and pure evil, unquote. While the court acknowledged that she probably does have a mental illness, which I, I'm sure she does. I'm not disputing that. Uh, it doesn't make her less guilty because she's not criminally insane, which is important. At the time of her sentence, she was 56 years old. So she will probably actually be in prison for life. I don't know if this is life without parole. It did not say... Uh, it kind of seems like it was. So that's the end of, like, Ortega's, you know, tale. She's in jail. That's where she's doing. And she thinks that she's a victim in this situation. Meanwhile, the Crims have been faced with rebuilding their lives after losing their kids. Following the loss of their children, the Crims decided to use the experience to make the world better. In addition to helping other families find responsible caregivers, they have started the Lulu and Leo Fund, to pay for enrichment classes for children in the community. The fund pays for things like art classes, dance classes, and trips to museums. Marina wrote that she was inspired to create the nonprofit after seeing street art of a boy shortly after the murder. She connected the boy to Leo and realized that she could make a difference for these other kids. The Crims all attended trauma therapy after the crime and decided to move into a new home. They never went back to their apartment where the murders occurred. Yeah, understandably so. Mm -hmm. I mean, how could you go back to a place like that? I couldn't. Yeah. In the years after the loss, they've added two new children to their family named Linus and Felix. And additionally, the Crims work to pass Lulu and Leo's law. And this law makes it illegal to make false statements about your caregiver qualifications or someone else's caregiver qualifications when you are applying for a caregiver position for children. Yeah. Yeah, so that is in direct response to the fact that Ortega's family had lied to help her get the job. So now if you do that, it's against the law. So, woot. Yeah, that's a good thing. Yes. Lulu and Leo never got to live their lives, though they did leave a big impression on their families, friends, and the people who will benefit from the charity it started in their name. Obviously, this is extremely tragic, and I, I really cut down a lot of the details. There's some more information about, like, exactly how the kids were stabbed that you can find if you really want to, but I decided not to, to really look at that. I kind of skimmed over it and was like, nah, mm, no, yeah. we're not going to do that. We're just not going to do that. So I did not include that information, but maybe you want to know more. There's stuff out there. I did find um, part of the blog that she kept still up. 
Marina's blog, Life with the Little Crim Kids, was taken down right after the murders, and there were, like, a few remaining messages put up, but it appears that parts of the blog have been saved on a separate page, so I was able to look at that, but I didn't really read all the posts, because honestly, I got so sad. Yeah, for sure. Like, way more sad than I expected to, like, learning about this. Yeah. Well, thank you for sticking with us through the Crim story. If you would like to get more exclusive content, please consider going to our Patreon at patreon.com backslash badxpod. Again, we have memberships that start at a dollar. All of our memberships have months of bonus content available at this time, so you will have a lot more stuff to binge if you go there. Also, if you wouldn't mind please telling your friends about us, leaving a review if you like the show, maybe subscribe also if you like the show would be awesome. We also would love to hear from you on social media. You can connect with us at all platforms at BadAxePod. That is our handle. We are most active on Instagram. But I do post on Facebook and Twitter kind of regularly. Like, not as often as Insta, though. If you would like to send us feedback or suggestions or comments or just anything, you can email us at BadAxePod at gmail.com. I would like to go back and rephrase that. Please do not send me spam, but pretty much anything else that's not spam <laughs> would be great. Also, don't send me crime scene photos because that would make me very unhappy. Yes. I do not want that. Um, Aaron, did you want to tell them about the website? Yeah, we have a great website for you guys. It's got a real spooky tree. It's super kick-ass. It's badxpod.com. Yes, Perfection. All right, well, we will see you very soon with more exciting true crime content. I will make an effort to not have any kids in the stories for a while. Although it's been kind of a while since we've done a kid case, I feel like. Because we just did the serial killer guy, alleged serial killer technically. And then we had uh, we had some other adults. We had adults. It's been adults for a while. Hello, friends. I'm Taya. And I'm Sammy. And we're the hosts of the Offbeat Worm podcast. Come check us out. We talk about so many things. Spooky things, silly things, and everything in between. Find our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. And we'll catch you on the Offbeat. See you soon. Okay. Now, I've been trying actively not to do too many kid cases. Because I know a lot of other podcasts don't even do kid cases. But then I'm just like, we're just ignoring all these crimes. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird because I feel like some people don't completely get why true crime podcasts are like telling the stories. But for me, telling a story is like honoring someone and also just remembering that happened and trying to learn from something. That's how it like it makes sense in my head. So it's, but I know not everyone agrees with that. So I kind of guess it's not... Different strokes, right? Yeah, I don't know if that makes sense. Like, obviously, we're all, like, consuming the true crime content, but... Or we wouldn't be here. So, I feel like you guys get me. I feel like the listeners get me. They do. They get you. All right. I got you. I love you, listeners. We will see you very soon. Bye-bye. Bye.